Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1.30 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. Bound and determined to get this thing in your hands uh, before, you know, freaking Thursday or however long it took me last week. Sorry about that. Um, Man, Hannah has just been knocking out of the park every week. I feel like every week... I'm like, Hannah, that was like the best message ever. And this week is uh, more of the same. Um, She's a little sick, so just a heads up. Uh, Although she says she's not sick. She says she just lost her voice, but I think she's sick and she just doesn't want to admit it. Don't tell her. Um, So her voice isn't as strong as usual, but it's not like gross. I would warn you if she had a gross voice, I would be like, hey, you know what? Don't listen to this episode. She's got a gross voice. It's not gross. It's just a little soft. Um, so you might have to turn it up a little bit, but I did some work on the uh, EQ and compression to make it sound as good as I could. And it is super duper worth listening to. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed this message. It's one of those ones uh, she's talking about, like, as a Christian, how should we relate to non-Christians and people of other religions? Are we, you know superior to them spoiler alert no of course not um this is one of those things that i would love to like staple to everyone's forehead who's like constantly demanding that america is a christian nation and this you know the way to solve evil is to preach more and to be in the missions field more it's just like man that is just not the type of church we are and i'm so happy about that And uh, that's kind of what this uh, message is about. And I I loved it a lot. Before we jump into that, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, Please go to diff.church. That is kind of like the hub for all the sorts of ways you can connect with us. And right now there are a couple of uh, really cool things in our events tab. So go to diff.church, click on events. Uh, June is coming up. That's Pride Month. We are participating in a couple different things and we could absolutely use your help. Um, You can sign up to volunteer in the booth. If you do, you get a free t-shirt and you can sign up to march in the parade. And if you do that, you also get a free t-shirt. Although uh, we are uh, suggesting like a donation of like 10 bucks if you uh, sign up for the parade and get the shirt. But don't worry if you can't afford it. uh, No big deal. Uh, We would love to just give you this cool St. Peter's different shirt. Um, I think that's it. There aren't any other events right now, but that is like one of the things that we look forward to the most as a church. So please be a part of it. We would love to see you at pride. All right, let's uh, throw it over to Hannah who is totally sick and her voice is gone. So yay for me. Um, It's definitely what I wanted to close out our series of questions. People ask us a lot with a hard hitting voice that sounds like a, what I imagine a dying moose would sound like. So I have a lot of tea. We're going to take a lot of tea breaks. I'm just going to ask you to bear with me, okay? (sighs) Tea break number one. Oh, let me tell you, I have had like three cups of tea and like two bottles of water and a cup of coffee and I've peed like 12 times. That may be TMI, but I have washed my hands 12 times. So (laughs) this morning we are concluding our, it's been like a month and a half. We've been talking about stuff that we get asked all the time. So we've talked about violence in the Old Testament, just a light topic. Uh, We've talked about the environment. We have talked about the downfall of church systems. We've talked about fundamentalism and a bunch of other stuff. 
And so today, one of the most requested topics, how should Christians relate to people of other religions? Now, in order to answer that question, we have to first think about a different question, because you know it's never that simple. Uh, the question is not, let me make this clear, <coughs> the question is not, do we have the right answer? Which would then imply that everyone else has the wrong answer. The question is, what did Jesus come to do? Because it seems like we have pigeonholed a lot of Christianity into, like, Christianity has pigeonholed Jesus into God's last dish attempt to save humanity, and if you don't accept Jesus, well then, off with your head to hell forever, goodbye. <laughs> and if you've been around here, you will know that I do not find that interpretation particularly helpful at all. So, what was Jesus trying to do? Jesus did not want to create an in-group that would banish everyone who didn't believe to an out-group. This is typical Christian belief, right? I disagree. Jesus wanted to create a come-on-in group that is open and available to everyone. It sought out and welcomed everyone. This group did not come to badger other people, <laughs> to eradicate other groups, but to save them, redeem them, bless them, respect them. We've never struggled with that. Uh, love them, befriend them, embrace them. Or to put it another way, Jesus threatened people with inclusion. <laughs> if they were to be excluded, it is because they refused to accept their own acceptance. Jesus threatened people with exclusion. And if they rejected him, he did not retaliate, but actually submitted to the rejection and mistreatment and even crucifixion. I think the word that should characterize the church and its encounter with other people is vulnerability. Because people who are to be one and saved um, should always have the possibility of crucifying the witness. Oh, we don't like that. <laughs> what do you mean I have to submit to that, right? And I can hear the objection from my peeps growing up. This verse, I got quoted a lot. Uh, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He spoke of families being divided over him and his message. And okay, sure, if you want to see how this works, let's imagine a few scenarios. Imagine you are the child of racist parents. And you come home one day and you say, you know what, as a follower of Jesus, I actually think that people of all races should be treated with love and equitably, no matter what. As a follower in the way of Jesus, you will create some division. Imagine you are a corporate executive, and at the board meeting, you are like, you know what? I would love to reduce our profit margin over the next 10 years so that we can lead the industry in creating recyclable products, and we can minimize damage to God's earth and act as proper stewards of God's creation. As a follower in the way of Jesus, you will create division. Imagine you are a leader in a political party that prospers by creating fear of its opponents. And you write a memo that says, we need to treat our opponents exactly the way we would want to be treated. We need to speak the truth, not only free of lies, but free of exaggeration. Even if they slander us, we are not going to return insults. In fact, we're going to do good to them. As a follower in the way of Jesus, you're going to lose your job. 
okay? Chesterton wrote this, and I think it's like one of the most powerful statements because he said, anyone who preaches real love is bound to beget hate. Real love always ends in bloodshed. You're welcome. Go about your life and live delightfully now. <laughs> number two. Number two. <laughs> Y'all can keep counting. This is, is it still count as number two if I take another sip? <laughs> We have to take the incarnation seriously. Incarnation is a fancy church word for God becoming human in Jesus. That's what that means, okay? So we have to affirm that God's movement towards us, us word, in Jesus, sends us on a similar trajectory, them word, whoever them is. Now, not only are we like bound to other people in love, we're actually called to, in some real sense, become one of them and enter their world and be with them in it. And in saying this, I am quoting one of Jesus' earlier followers, Paul. And Paul had been, if you don't know, a Pharisee, a member of the elite among the elite, okay? Pharisees were the most critical of Jesus, and they, Jesus was the most critical of them. It was not, it was not a love-hate relationship. It was mostly like hate-hate, except, you know, Jesus is love, et cetera. The Pharisees would not eat with the non-Jews. They wouldn't even say hi to them. They wouldn't hug them. They wouldn't marry them. They wouldn't even help them if they found them beaten and left to die on a road. They did not understand the difference between love and acceptance and approval. So, lest they be accused of approving of people of other religions, they refrained from loving or accepting people who happened to be part of other religions, as well as subpar members of their own religion. So Jesus entered Paul's life and Paul entered Jesus' way and then everything changed to the point where Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those not having a law I became like one not having a law to win those not having a law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak, et cetera, et cetera. It's very like repetitive. You can read it yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. And can you feel the immense like shocking almost heretical nature of those words written by a former Pharisee who had spent his whole life being like, "Mm -mm," (laughs) mm-mm, to everyone. The gospel, the story of God's becoming one of us through the incarnation, propels Paul on his own becoming one of us mission to everyone else. Now, there are two things, I just need to say this, because I feel like some of you are gonna be like, well, It's very dishonest, okay? One thing in incarnational ministry is not, it is not dishonest by work where you pretend to be like someone else so that you can then save their eternal soul. It is not like when that person from your past, like you haven't talked to them since high school, sends you a Facebook message, being like, hey, how are you? And really they just want to sign you up for their weight loss group. Okay, that's not what this is. And second, it is not this kind of, belief that everybody is okay, all religions are equally and true, and it's all good, and it's all fun, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. No. Generous belief means something very different. In a sense, I think we should give the same freedom and respect to other religions that we give to our European ancestors. And if you don't know what I mean by this, how many of you were raised, like, went to Christian school or had some kind of Christian, like, upbringing? Okay, did anyone ever say to you 
when you were studying history that the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses were like demons and we couldn't even think about them lest we be tempted to worship them. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? Because this classical culture has been adopted as part of our heritage. We aren't like, like long ago, Christians in the West were like, oh yeah, that's kind of where we came from and there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of beauty there. There's some weird stuff and some wrong stuff, but like we're not, we're not gonna prevent you from learning about it. The modern missionary movement of the last 200 years did not follow this path. <laughs> they uh, practiced colonialism. In fact, I would say longer than 200 years. But let's just, let's not tackle all of history <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Let's just say the first 200 years, okay? Colonialism, just spreading white supremacy and Eurocentrism to everyone, right? So when we think of missions, typically we're actually thinking of colonialism that doesn't try to get sin out of a culture. It tries to get the culture out of a people and then just replace it with your American culture because that is what God has ordained, amen. I am proposing that the Christian faith should become, in the name of Jesus, a welcome friend to other religions of the world. We should be seen as the protector of their heritages. We should be a defender against enemies, not one of the enemies. <clears throat> that was too loud. <laughs> Just as Jesus came originally to not destroy the law, but fulfill it, not to condemn people, but to save them, Jesus comes today not to destroy or condemn anything, but to heal and save everything that can be healed and saved. But we might be like, oh, there is just so much evil in other religions. Yup. But that's not where we get to start. There is evil not just in other religions. What about us? Uh, perhaps we should try to get the giant planks out of our own eyes before we start picking at splinters from other religions. Okay? If, as a Christian, I am to love my neighbor as myself and to treat my neighbor like I would like to be treated, then without question, one of my duties in regard to my neighbor who happens to be of another religion is to value everything good that they offer me, including the opportunity to learn everything I can. Another duty is to offer everything I have that might be of value to them, including the opportunity to learn if they want. This is not a compromise of our faith. It is a required practice of it. <sighs> Maybe God just wanted you to sit in silence with that for a bit. Yes. <laughs> How do we proceed forward? Okay. First, we have to accept the coexistence of other religions. Not begrudgingly, willingly. In our old, like, modern colonial type world, Christians could just wish that everyone everywhere just get with the program and become Christians just like us. In fact, non-Christians were seen as these people who needed to be forcibly converted. In fact, some of you have been forcibly converted. <laughs> and the fact is, other religions have been here for a long time, and they don't seem to be going anywhere. So saying, I'm sorry, you can't believe that, that clearly doesn't work. That's like telling 
teenagers, just don't do it. That'll save you from everything, right? That's a whole different sermon, I'm sorry. To be a Christian means that we follow Jesus' teaching of love to our neighbors, especially to people whose religions are different, even those who might be considered enemies. To show love and acceptance towards people does not mean you have to fundamentally agree with everything they do in their life or everything they believe. But to show disapproval by withholding love and acceptance, that's not the way of Jesus. That's the way of the Pharisees. And that is a betrayal of our Lord. Now, if we acknowledge and accept the existence of other faiths, then we need to actually talk with people of other faiths and have respectful dialogue. This is so easy for the American church, right? We just having dialogue all over the place. It's like completely respectful, um, so kind. We always listen before we start yelling at people, right? Dialogue benefits everyone, but I think probably we need it the most. Many Christians somehow seem to believe that engaging in dialogue means that we're somehow sacrificing our own position. That respectful dialogue is an automatic compromise. That's absurd. Dialogue, not argument. Dialogue is only possible among people who come to the table with mutual respect. Okay, we have to assume as a base level that God is actually an unseen partner in any kind of dialogue we are having, including us. God has something to teach everyone, including us, if we're having dialogue, okay? We are not the have people standing over the people who don't have, and we're going to impart some gift from the Lord to them. We are all recipients of the same mercy, and we all share in the same mystery. We have to be humble in order to engage in respectful dialogue. Colonial Christianity sees like boldness and humility as opposites. They're like, you can't be humble and be bold. No. But actually, what that has resulted in is arrogance and disrespect, huge disrespect towards other people and insensitivity. And as a result, we have attacked and argued so often, and we've rarely apologized. Did you know there's a branch of like Christian thought called apologetics? Now, apologetics is the art of giving reasons for the faith and hope and love that you have but it has been turned from that art into the practice of arguing forcefully and aggressively with anyone who happens to disagree with you. I don't mind true apologetics, because I don't mind art, right? Uh, but perhaps anyone engaging in apologetics should start with an apology. Why? As great as we happen to think we are, we have no guarantee that we are doing any better in our context than our ancestors were doing in theirs. There could be people 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now being like, those idiots. <laughs> we have so much to apologize for. We cannot believe the things that they believed. And we're like, no, 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 no. God has shown us the right way. How does this create a path forward? Can we, can we ever talk about Jesus? Can we ever share like the hope that we have in our lives? Yeah, sure. You can share the good news of Jesus and seek to teach all people, make disciples. The word disciple, the word, it means to teach. Always inviting, never coercing, okay? 
I must add, though, that I don't think making disciples has to equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It might be advisable in some circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain in their context, whether that's a Buddhist context, a Hindu context, a Jewish context. And you might be like, no, that'll be really hard. I agree. But guess what? Frankly, it's pretty hard to be a Christian in some Christian contexts, isn't it? We need to be aware always that our old, old story, I heard an old, old story, may not be the true, true story, okay? In other words, always in our mind, we should keep that the understanding of the gospel that has been handed to us could be faulty. It might be imbalanced. It might be poorly nuanced. It might be downright warped and twisted. We can never be afraid to ask questions about the work we're doing or the work we've inherited. There is no question that should be asked or outlawed, that shouldn't be asked or outlawed. Hopefully that's not a sound bite someday. She said there's no question that should be asked. <laughs> when, if we ever get a day where we're completely satisfied with what we have been doing, that day we found the perfect, unchangeable, all-encompassing system, the right answer, we never need to be corrected again, on that day we will be undeniably wrong. Whenever we have arrived on the right answer, you're wrong. I'm wrong, you're wrong, we're wrong, right? Because even if, like, I mean, this is not even in my notes. Can you, God is infinite. We are not. And we want to be like, yes, we are. No. <laughs> no, I can't even talk, okay? We are not infinite. <laughs> we can't even, like, get up in the morning without... 72 ounces of coffee. We're not infinite. So even if we have the most pure, if God were to like download into your brain the most pure understanding of what faith could possibly be, it would still only be this much of what faith could possibly be. We have to learn to live with paradoxes and stop trying to nail down the absolute true and right answer for every situation, for every person, or every time. It doesn't happen. What happens when you meet someone whose piety and goodness just way dwarfs yours? We've never met someone who's like very delicious and good, right? No. We're like, we are the best person. What happens when we share how Jesus has transformed our lives, given us hope, and other people are informed and enriched, maybe even like love that? They love that you shared that with them and they're still not convinced to join you. What do you do? rather than resolve the paradox of the eternal destiny of people who happen to arrive on something different than you, we simply move on, enjoy their company, and give them respect, just like Jesus did, never calling down fire from heaven on them, as Jesus specifically told us not to do. We see the tension, we appreciate the tension, and we actually don't attempt to resolve it. Hardest part for us, isn't it? What do you mean we can't have an answer? I mean, the answer is yes. The answer is 42. <laughs> the answer is you can't. Then what's the question? I don't know. We're back at the beginning. We're trying to exist in a space where we want answers, but the answer that God is giving us is just live, just love, just hold your arms open when people need help. 
If members of other religions are under threat, then we get to protect them. If through Jesus, God risks everything for us, then we get to do the same for other people. They're our neighbors. And everything Jesus said about neighbors applies to them. Even if they approach us like enemies. Although, in our American context, it is much more likely to be the other way around. To be faithful to Jesus, you have to love them and never let someone's status as non-Christian reduce them to a non-neighbor. We are here to love people. We are here to seek to understand people. We are here to share with people everything of value that we have found. We are here to receive their gifts with equal joy. We are here to enjoy life in God's world with them, to eat with them and laugh with them and work with them and play with each other's kids and show up at their weddings. We are here to be neighbors according to the teaching of our Lord. And if we are not good neighbors, our Lord says they have no reason to believe or even respect us to begin with. Getting close to people, having dialogue with people, loving people, it's not a compromise of faith. It's an expression of it. And I want to close. I have a story to share with you. <clears throat> I don't know where the band is, but they can come back because I'm not going to last much longer. <laughs> Let's take a tea break. I want to share a story with you from the life of Diana Butler Bass, and she lived in Washington, D.C. immediately following the 9-11 events. And she told this story. She has a daughter named Emma. And one day, she was walking with her daughter, and they saw a woman who had a veil around her hair. And children, <laughs> having no like sense of embarrassment or decency, she like shouted at her, Mommy, what's that? <laughs> and she answered, that lady is a Muslim. And she dresses like that, and she covers her hair because she loves God. That's one way her people show they love God. And her daughter like considered those words and then she stared at her and then she pointed to her mom and she was like, do you love God? Because <laughs> your hair's not covered. <laughs> and she was like, yes, you and I are Christians. We show love by, for God by helping the poor. We show love for God by going to church together. We don't wear veils on our hair, but we do love God. Didn't, nothing happened for like months. And then one day, randomly, months later, they happened to be getting out of the car at their rental property at the same time, their Pakistani neighbors were getting out of their car. And there was a beautiful mother of children, and she had a veil on her hair. And Emma saw this person, beautifully dressed, and shouted at the top of her lungs, look, mommy, she loves God. And her neighbor was obviously surprised. <laughs> and so Diana told her what she taught Emma. She said, this is what I told her. And her neighbor held back tears and hugged her and said, I wish everyone would teach their children like this because the world would be better. I am completely convinced that Jesus did not come here to start another religion to compete in the marketplace of religions. Jesus did not come here to provide another option for you to get a discount on in your capitalistic religion society. If anything, he came to end standard competitive religion by fulfilling it. He came to end the law by fulfilling it. He came to open up something beyond religion a new possibility, a new realm, a new domain, a new territory of the Spirit of God that welcomes everyone, but requires everyone, including Christians. 
to reconsider and become like little children who have no sense of embarrassment to ask questions. It's not a place of fear and exclusion. It's a place beyond fear and exclusion. It's a place where everyone can find a home in the embrace of God. And I don't know, like many things we talk about, you may leave here and be like, you did not answer the question. That's the point, isn't it? To exist in faith and be able to know that we are doing what we can to include and love other people. We are doing what we can to act like Jesus. And if we are not acting like Jesus, then we're doing it wrong. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, the whole Bible boils down to those two things. And so my question for you is if you had no Bible, if it didn't exist, would people know that you love Jesus? Do you love people? Everyone should teach their children like this, to exist in a state of unknowing and to know that it's meaningful anyway.